Are there any others? <laughs> oh, oh. We were fresh out. They'll be they'll be back. They'll be back with a couple more. Oh, oh, good. We did have a couple more. All right, so this is this is actually week eight of a of a series that we've been in and and as, we, as of last week, actually, we've made it all the way through verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, which is where we've been the entire series. It, it, this is where Jesus lays out the itinerary of his ministry. This is where Jesus tells us exactly where his ministry is headed. It, he, he, he tells us who he's headed towards and who he specifically would focus on. And, and what we understand is, is that the literal, physical body of Christ that was ministering in, in, in those ways to those people laid out in Luke 4, 18 and 19 that we've been studying, we know that that literal, physical body of Christ ascended back up to heaven, didn't he? But now we're here, though. And, and we, the church, are here, and now we go by a very specific and a very unique title and that title is the body of christ and, and so our ministry should be like jesus ministry that that's why this series is called the parallel paradigm that's just a fancy way to say our ministry now in the 21st century should look like jesus ministry did in the first century we're to be doing exactly what jesus would be doing if he decided to come in the 21st century instead of come in the first century. And, and let's look again at the verse in Luke chapter 4 that this study has been founded on to just kind of set the stage where we're going this morning. Luke chapter 4 in verse 18, it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we know here that he's quoting from Isaiah 61, the prophecy that's there. But Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Okay, so up until now, we have looked at every group of people that I just mentioned, and we've asked ourselves, who are these people today that he's talking about? And we, we, we know who the people were in the first century because the Gospels show us what Jesus was up to. But who are these people in the 21st century? And, and each week we've attempted to identify who they are. We've, we've attempted to get a, a heart for them. And then that brings us to verse 19, the following verse in Luke 4.19, which says, To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at how we can have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus with our message. With our message. There's a specific message that we're to preach, you can see from this verse. And to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must, number one on your study sheet, make a 21st century identification of our message. We must make a 21st century identification of the message. Now, what I want you to notice in that verse 19 that we were just looking at is there is a very definite message that God wants us to do something with. And, and what is it that we're to do with this message? What it says is, is that we as the body of Christ have been called to preach it. And this message we've been called to preach is the exact same message that Jesus said that he was called to preach. He said in Luke 4 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and anointed him and sent him to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay. That's it for today. What are, you, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing? Go ahead and do that. It's, it's, it's that simple, right? Now, if we're going to do that, we've got to know what that is, don't we? We've got to know what that is. What is this message we've been called to preach that he refers to as the acceptable year of the Lord? 
There's something very specific he means by that, and I'm going to take you on a little ride to show you from the Word of God what the acceptable year of the Lord actually is. And to, and to understand what the acceptable year of the Lord actually is, I, I want us to go back to the beginning of the Bible so that we can understand some things about the Sabbath. We, we go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and we're we're introduced to the Sabbath as early as the second chapter of the book of Genesis. Okay, so we've got the, we've got the first six days of creation in chapter one of Genesis. And we come into chapter two and we, we find some things out about this seventh day. And, and, and we find out that God blesses the seventh day. He, he sanctifies that day and he set it apart to himself. So there are six days, and then the seventh day is his. And it's a day It's a day of rest. And as we go further in the Bible, what we find is based on that truth that we, that we see in the seventh day of creation, what the Lord did was is that he instituted that Sabbath rest for the nation of Israel. Okay, it, it, it's found, it, it even found its way into the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. God instituted the Sabbath day for the nation of Israel. And what he wanted Israel to know on that seventh day is he wanted them to come to a place every single week that they're reminded that all of this is really about God. And God is the creator. And when the creator established life, he worked for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested and God intended for his people, the nation of Israel, to live their lives where they worked six days. And on the seventh day, they rested. So there was a Sabbath in the week, but there was also, if you've ever noticed, there was also a, a sabbatical year. This happened every seventh year, and they called it a sabbatical year. In Deuteronomy 15, starting in, in verse 1, it says that, that at the end of every seven years thou shalt make a release. And in, in verse 9 it actually calls it the year of release. Verse 9, Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release. Okay, so you'd have six years. And then the seventh year was the year of release. It was the sabbatical Year And the way that this year or this sabbatical year is defined for us is that this is a year that God instituted first and foremost for the poor. So that the poor in the nation of Israel could find release from their debt so they could come to a place where they could find rest. Okay, so they get released from this, these debts. That, that would be, be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Hey, Capital One credit card... I'm going to need you to quit calling me because it's the seventh year and, and I'm off the hook. But, but that's what was taking place in the, in the sabbatical year in the nation of Israel. It was, it was a year of release in Leviticus chapter 25 in verse 20. It, it also adds that this was even a year that the land was to find release. They, were, they weren't to work the land even that seventh year. Even the land was to find rest. And the purpose of the sabbatical year was to teach them that they, the nation of Israel, and the land, it was all the Lord's. Deuteronomy 15.15 tells us what it was. And in the context of the sabbatical year, it says, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore, I command thee this thing today. God was trying to communicate to them the fact that they were in bondage in Egypt, and by God's grace, they'd been released from that. And it was to bring them back to remind them that, that they'd been in bondage, and so that they in turn could release those that had been in bondage to them. And, and according to Deuteronomy 31 and verse 10, it it, it says that Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, in, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God 
in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. And what God's getting across here, y'all, is that in that seventh sabbatical year in which all of the people were released and the land was released, it was time for them to pull together. It, during this time when all this work wasn't happening, it was to use it as an opportunity to teach people that didn't know about God to be brought back and reminded how he had released them from the bondage of Egypt and the rest that God intended for his people to have. So there was a Sabbath day in the week. There was a sabbatical year every seventh year. But then there was the grand sabbatical year. Have you guys ever seen this in Scripture before? It was called Jubilee, or the, or the year of Jubilee. So here's how it works. The year of Jubilee came at the end of every seven sabbatical years. Okay, so are you doing the math? I know it's been a long time. I see you reaching for your phones and getting the calculators out. I see you. So on the, on the sabbatical year is six years and rest on the seventh year. So after seven of those seven-year periods, it would be seven times seven. So how many is that? Nice. So after the 49th year, it was to be this grand year, this, this grand sabbatical rest that is called the year of Jubilee. And in that 50th year, it was a year that everything was released. All debts were released. All slaves were released. All prisoners were released. All the land that had been sold by somebody who had gotten themselves into trouble and messed up financially and had to sell off part of the land, in the year of Jubilee, it all came back to the owner. And it's all spelled out for us in Leviticus 25. And in Leviticus 25, 9, it says, Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. Verse 10, And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year, listen to this now, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Are you seeing where this thing is going? It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. We talked a couple weeks ago about this thing of, of liberty. I think I said last week, I think it's actually two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Everybody's awake now. We talked about this thing of liberty. Just a, a couple weeks ago. So after 49 years or after seven sabbatical years, every man that had to sell himself into slavery to pay back the debt, it comes back to his family. It's a time where broken-hearted people are rejoicing. It's a poor people. They have found some good news. Are you hearing Luke 4.18 and what I'm saying to you? The people who were captives, they've been set free. Does this... Sound like anything you've been hearing over the last couple months? You know what the year of Jubilee was? It was a time where God gave his people a new lease on life. It was, it was a chance for them to, to start over. It was a place for them to find a brand new beginning. And the thing that we've got to understand is that when Jesus walks into that synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and says, I'm here now to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, I've come to cancel the debt of sin that has left you spiritually bankrupt. I've come to bring relief to your broken heart. I've come to set you free from the captivity of Satan and sin. I've come to remove the blinders that Satan has tried to use to keep you blinded to God's message and hold you in his grip. I've come to set you at liberty from all the ways that sin has bruised you. Jesus is saying in Luke 4, 19, 
The year of Jubilee is here, guys. And yeah, that was, a, that was a literal year back in Israel's history, and it had to do with all those physical provisions that I mentioned. But it was really a picture. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the year of Jubilee. He is the one that has the good news for the poor. He's the one that can heal the brokenhearted to set at liberty the captives, open the eyes of the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. And back in Leviticus 25, 9, again, that's still on the, street, on the screen, God said, based on the day of atonement, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, and the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And back in Luke 4.18, that's what Jesus said that he came to do, to proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Jesus was saying, I've come to allow people to have a brand new beginning, a fresh start, a new lease on life. But listen, y'all, you and I are actually still living in the year of Jubilee. Do you understand that? Because of, because of Christ, that year has continued on now for around 2,000 years. And now we're here, and we're still proclaiming that there is Jubilee in Christ. That there's rejoicing, that you can come to Christ no matter who you are. No matter what your past is, and you can find a new beginning, and we need to understand that because we are now living in the acceptable year of the Lord. Because biblically, this is a place, and this is we're going to pick up in your study sheet again here. That we are now living in the acceptable year of the Lord because biblically, this is a time when God's grace is appearing. This is a time when God's grace is appearing. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now I know that's hard to comprehend, and, and, it's, and it's certainly hard to explain. I'm not totally sure that I can, but somehow, however God does it, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone because it's the acceptable year of the Lord. In Isaiah 52.10, it says, The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The holy arm of the Lord he's made bare. God rolls up his sleeve. Boom, and hits you with one of these, right? Now, I used to have something that kind of moved. Now, now this noodle doesn't do anything. But when God does it, let me tell you something. It moves, and when the holy arm goes like that, you're left with nothing but holy smokes, right? That's how... That's how that goes. That's, the, that's it, though. But the holy arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He, when God rolls up his sleeve, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the one at the right hand of power. He says, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God and they've seen it through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where they've seen it. He has made salvation bare. His grace has appeared, to, like Paul said to Titus. But, but, but not only has His grace appeared to every man, but, but it's calling. Next on your study sheet. But His grace is calling. Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, referring to Christ in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, who hath saved us and called us with a, 
holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. His grace, because it's the acceptable year of the Lord, is appearing to everyone on earth, and it's calling them to eternal salvation. And, and not only is it appearing and calling, but it's, but it's certain. It's, it's certain. And what we have to understand is it's, it's certain up until this point today. It's, it's certain. His grace is certain, but the Scriptures let us know that won't always be the case. In Isaiah 55 and verse 6, Isaiah said, said it this way, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. You can, you can find him today because it's the day of salvation. It's the acceptable time. It's the year of jubilee and it's still in operation. And, and so that grace is certain. But call upon it while you can. Call upon him while he's near. Jesus warned in John 7.34. In John 7.34, he warned that there's going to come a time where people are going to seek him, but they're not going to be able to find him anymore. Verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When will that be that they won't be able? Verse 25, when once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not when she are. But that door isn't shut yet, y'all. It's still the acceptable year of the Lord. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, where he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. His grace is certain. To this moment. Proverbs 27.1 says though. We must keep this in mind. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not. What a day may bring forth. The acceptable year of the Lord. May not be here tomorrow. And then next. The grace of God. Is enough. Next on your study, study sheet. The. The grace of God is enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 sums it up as plainly as it can get. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you have been saved by grace, through faith alone, or you're not saved. If you've added words to it, that is not biblical salvation based on this verse. But for all of us who have come to God, not with any merit of our own, but just simply understanding that we're nothing but a sinner that's incapable of doing anything other than messing up by trying to add to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we come to Him and ask Him if by His grace He will save us, and we accept that gift by faith. When we do that, Ephesians 1.13 says that in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, what happened after that? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, uh, listen, God gave you His grace that saved you, that's appeared to all men, and once He saved you, He sealed you with the Holy Spirit so that you can't get out of being in Christ. And that's what the book of Ephesians is, is trying to get all of us to understand. We have been saved by grace and then sealed 
by his Holy Spirit and placed in Christ. But something you need to understand is that that promise of being in Christ and being sealed with the Holy Spirit is given exclusively to the, those of us living in the year of Jubilee. Those of us living in the age of grace, those of us right here, right now, living in the church age, others that have lived or will live in a different time, they don't have that promise. If you don't understand that, you are going to get lost in your Bible, my friends. In fact, during the tribulation period, the Bible says we're all going to be raptured out of here and the world is going to be thrust into a tribulation period. God says there's never been a time before it and there will never be a time like it after it. Just an incredibly intense time of tribulation on this earth. And men will cry out for God's grace and God will grant it. But the difference is, is in the tribulation period, there's nobody sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that's why when the disciples gather around Jesus in Matthew 24, they start asking him, how are they going to know when the second coming is and when the end of the world is here? And Jesus begins to answer that question, but he's describing the tribulation period. Again, a period of time when those that are saved will have already been raptured out. And many people get this verse out of context. But the context is the tribulation period. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Yikes. If you don't understand the context of that verse, and understand that God dispenses his grace in different ways at different times, then this verse sounds like good works keep you, keeps you saved, doesn't it? You've got to understand who he's talking to. It's talking about the tribulation and talking about those that, that may have called for the grace of God, but somewhere along the way they, they take the mark of the beast and they're, and they're sealed. And with that mark, they'll be forever separated from God. But right now, when you call upon the name of the Lord, this is the year of release. When you come to Christ and He places you in Him, and by His grace, He seals you with the Holy Spirit, and it is enough. And then next, God's grace at this period of time is, is perfecting. God's grace at this period of time and is perfecting, and that's why it's enough. It's because of what it does. You, you see, the moment you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive His grace, and what He does is He places you in Him. He places you in Christ. And when God looks at you, that's how He sees you now. He sees you in Him. We call that your position in Christ. You're positionally perfect, we could say. When God sees you, guess what He sees? He sees you the same way that He sees His Son because you're in Him. He sees Him as absolutely perfect. And so when we call on the name of the Lord to save us, He makes us all positionally perfect. Philippians 3.15 says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. He's definitely not talking about those of us who no longer sin. Or he wouldn't be talking to anybody, would he? He'd be talking to a brick wall right there if he's talking to somebody who no longer sins. He means those of us who are positionally in him. And because we're in him, he sees us as perfect. And not only is God's grace perfecting, it's, it's teaching. God's grace is teaching. That sounds strange. God, the grace teaches us. That's what the Bible says. We, we looked a moment ago at, at Titus 2.11 where it's talking about the grace of God. And in, in Titus 2.11 it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then in the next verse, that, that grace actually teaches us. It, it, that grace that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, 
Normally what we think is that the law teaches us those things. The law teaches us to deny ungodliness, and the law teaches us to deny worldly lusts. But the Bible teaches us that's not actually what the law does. The law simply exposes our unrighteousness. It exposes our worldly lust. It makes us aware of it. You see, legalism doesn't teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The Bible says that grace does that. Legalism produces a breeding ground for ungodliness to flourish where grace comes in and teaches us to deny all that stuff. Next, the time we're living in right now, God's grace is abounding. The time we're living in right now, God's grace is still abounding. In Romans 5.15, it talks about the offense of Adam. And the sin, of course, that impacted everybody on the planet that will ever live on this planet. And he says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, that's Adam, many be dead. Okay, verse 12 of the same chapter says that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men and so that all have sinned. Keep reading. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Skip to verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Who's that? Jesus Christ. And he comes down to verse 20 in this passage and he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, praise the Lord, Grace did much more abound. We're living in a period of time right now, y'all, where the grace of God is still abounding. But not only is it abounding, it's boundless. It's boundless. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make not just some grace, but all grace and not just come to you but abound toward you that ye not just some of the time but always having not just some sufficiency but all sufficiency in not just some things but all things may not just have a taste of good works but abound to not just a few good works, but every good work. And I milked the ever-loving devil out of that thing to let you know that God's over the top about this thing of His grace. His grace is boundless. Once you've accepted the gift of God's grace during this acceptable year of the Lord, this year of Jubilee, once you've received that grace... There, there's nothing that you could ever do and there's nothing you've ever done that, that's outside of the bounds of His grace. There's no mark of sin that can stick on you that will separate you from God like it will those who are in the tribulation period. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and none of that sin sticks because His grace is boundless. And, it's be, and, and because it's boundless, it's also liberating it's also liberating. Listen, there's only one way on this planet that people can be set free, and it's found in the year of Jubilee. It's found in the acceptable year of the Lord. And that year in Israel's history, it was just a picture. The, the Lord Jesus Christ is our liberty. He proclaimed, He came to proclaim liberty throughout all the land, and to every man and every nation. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Christ we have freedom from our sins. Sin is bondage. 
the things that held us captive, the sin that was breaking our hearts and, and bruising us and blinding us to what God intended. We've been delivered from all of that because He is the year of Jubilee. Jesus said in, in John eight thirty two, and y- you've heard this line before, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Some of you didn't know that was a Bible verse. You thought one of the old politicians made that up or something. <laughs> no, that was God. Yeah. Jesus, said, <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth has come. The year of jubilee has come in the Lord Jesus Christ to set us at liberty, to set us free. And and one last thing to understand about this acceptable year of the Lord is it's a time when God's grace is expiring. It's a time when God's grace is expiring. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 2, In the second half of the verse, again, it says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. In Psalm 103, 8 and 9, it it, it talks about how incredible God's grace is. And it it says, The Lord is, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And I love, I love, verse talking about the character of God I use that verse regularly in my prayers that's such a such an incredible truth about the character of God verse 9 has a warning though he will not always chide neither will he keep his anger forever and the thing I want you to see this morning is that God has graciously saved every person in this room that has called upon his name because this is the year of Jubilee, because this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And all that scripture we went through is true of us because this is the acceptable year of the Lord. But we've got to understand this morning that the acceptable year of the Lord is almost over. You realize that? If there's ever been a group on this planet that needs to sense the urgency of what's before us, it's this group. All these weeks we've been talking about having a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of of Jesus or having a ministry like Jesus. And and every week I've been trying to, to say we've got to understand this isn't just something that would be nice if we if we did it. This is God's calling on our life. And especially for those of us in the last days, because we're we're approaching a point where God's anger is going to be unleashed on this planet. Revelation 15.1 lets us know that there's, there's something that's been happening during this acceptable year of the Lord. Have you ever seen this? There's something that's been happening all this time that it's been the age of grace. There's something that's been happening for the last 2,000 years. God's grace has been appearing. It's been calling. It's been certain. It's been enough and all the other stuff we just went through. But all during that 2,000 years, there's something else that's been going on. In Revelation 15, 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous Seven angels having the seven last plagues. What's in there? For in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's been the acceptable year of the Lord, y'all. And God has been gracious to the people on this planet and certainly every single person in this room because you've all heard the gospel. And I don't know where we are in this whole thing exactly, but I know it's late. And I know that Revelation 15 and 16 lets us know that there are vials in heaven where God's wrath has been filling up all along during this age of grace. And what's going to be taking place in the very near future, Revelation 16, 1 says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And we're living close to this. 
If there's ever been a group of people that needs to understand the urgency of the acceptable year of the Lord, it's us. Luke 4, 18 and 19 that we've been talking about all these weeks. We, we come today to verse 19 and he says, I've been, Jesus says, I've been anointed. I've been sent to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And every week I walked this back and, and we talked about the, you, you, you remember it. I talked about the scrolls that, that were handed to him and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and, and he was. But there was something about that that I've never pointed out to you and that I've never told you that I've been keeping a secret. You realize that when he was reading from Isaiah 61, he stopped in the middle of a sentence? Luke 4, 18 through 20, verse 19, check it out. It says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. You see that on the screen? Then it goes on to verse 20. That's not the way it is in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Where Jesus put a period, there's a comma. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, pick up with me in verse 2. Here, here, here's the prophecy. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Whoops, that kept going, didn't it? Jesus cut off the sentence when he said it. When Jesus was reading from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, he purposely stopped right there. You know why? Because that portion of Isaiah is, is, is going to actually be fulfilled, not in his first coming, but in his second coming. And you know where you and I are in this verse? Where are the comma? No one in that room where Jesus was speaking that, that day understood that. No one understood that that comma in Isaiah was going to represent 2,000 years. We now understand that. We understand now what time it is. Not because we're so smart, but because we have the completed revelation of God. In Daniel, Daniel's writing all this stuff about the last days. He's writing, Daniel's writing as fast as his little pen can carry him as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write. And he stops and says, Lord, what in the world am I even writing about? <laughs> Pick up with me in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 8. Have you ever seen this? He, he says, I heard, but I, I understood not. Then said I, oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And God says, you're never going to know because I've sealed this thing up until the time of the end. Listen, not until the end, until the time of the end. Listen. It's that time right now with 6,000 years of history behind us in the completed revelation of God, there's no doubt about what time it is anymore. And all the things going on in this crazy world, we know what time it is. And here we are living today in the acceptable year of the Lord and yet we're so close to the day of vengeance and as we talk about the 21st century identification of our message, we, we've got to understand that this incredibly positive message of grace that's been entrusted to us, we've got to understand to proclaim that while understanding the day of vengeance of our God. And we took most of our time to explain that because most don't understand the acceptable year of the Lord. So first of all, this morning, we've got to understand the urgency to, to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captives, to preach to the entire world that because Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled the Old Testament law, he is the year of Jubilee and there's liberty to be found in Christ. And he can set the world free 
from the true things that bind them, sin and Satan, and he's entrusted to us that message. Then secondly, if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must capture God's heart for our message. We must capture God's heart for our message. And I know that you know this, but I think I have to say it. If we're really going to understand God's heart for, for this message, the acceptable year of the Lord, we've got to understand that He wants the whole world, the almost 8 million people that are on this planet breathing air right now, He wants all of those people to hear this message in this day of grace. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This isn't for us to just sit around and wait on Him and just come rescue us from this mess, Lord, while we hide out in a bunker. No, that's not what this, that's not what, that's not why we know what time it is, y'all. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. He's coming out of the context of people saying, yeah, whatever, they've been talking about God coming back for forever. Peter's saying that the reason he hadn't come back yet is because of the rest of this verse. Because God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, not any of the almost 8 billion people on this planet. He doesn't want one single person to perish, but they all should come to repentance. And for what it's worth, and I'm not just trying to take jabs, but if you're of the Calvinist persuasion, I've never heard one coherent counterpoint to this, these verses. Never one. Not one counterpoint to the simplicity that is in Christ, which is that He wants everyone, all. He loves all. He died for all. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul's been talking about God, our gracious Savior, and, and says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. All men. In Ezekiel 18, in verse 23, God says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I take not one ounce of pleasure in that. I want the whole world to come to me and live. John 3.16, we know it so well that we actually quit talking about it in church. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We, we already talked about Titus 2.11. God so wants the people of this world to respond to Him that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. If we're going to get it, we've got to capture God's heart and recognize that this message is, it's the, it's the day of grace, and it's, this, it's found in Christ, and He wants the world to know about this message. And then number three, if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must develop a biblical attitude toward our message. We must develop a biblical attitude toward our message. All, all this time we've been in Luke 4, 18 and 19, and man, what an incredible verse, and God has taught us so many incredible truths out of, out of these verses, and, and God has taught us so many things about these groups of people that God has called us to minister to. But listen, what He's called us to do in verse 19 is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and we've got to have a biblical attitude towards this thing. Listen, God's goal for the world, like we just saw, is for them to come to faith in Christ so they can be set free from all the things that really bind them up, from all the things that really make them poor and bruised and blind. He wants them to come to saving faith. 
But the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, something very important. That faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't say that faith comes by feeding the stomachs of the poor. Not by being sympathetic toward the broken-hearted people of the world. Not by going into different places of the world and freeing captives and bonded slaves and sex trafficking victims and setting them free. He didn't say that that is the thing that would bring them to faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, all as I've said all along, all of those good deeds I mentioned can allow others to see our good works and to glorify our Father that is in heaven. And it can open up doors for us, and we should do those things. So, but, so their value can't be understated. But somewhere along the way, throughout the course of that, they've got to hear the Word of God to bring them to faith. Back in verse 13 and 14 of Romans 10, Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not, of, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And when he says a preacher, he's not talking about a guy like me in a room like this. You understand that. He's talking about our responsibility out there to all the people in the world. How are they going to hear without a preacher? Somebody somewhere along the way has got to hold forth to them the word of life. Somebody's got to open their mouth. Somebody's got to preach. It's not just about being good deed doers. It's about being preachers of the acceptable year of the Lord. That's our responsibility. The, the pastors of this church have been called to do the preaching in this room. But we've all been called to do the preaching outside of this room. He's called us to be preachers to those who don't understand the year of Jubilee. And then number four, to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus. We must follow Jesus' example when sharing the message. We must follow Jesus' example when sharing the message. But what do we learn from Christ when we watch him in the example he set when he was here proclaiming that message to the world? First of all, letter A, like Jesus, we must join the Father in his work, not ask the Father to join us in our work. We must join the Father in his work, not ask the Father to join us in our work. And, and when Jesus came, he said in John 5, 17, here's what he said. My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And what Jesus is saying is, the Father has been working all along, and now He's got me here working too. But God doesn't just have me over here randomly just doing a little bit of this and a, and a little bit of that with the poor and the blind and the bruised and the captives. What we know is, and what Jesus is essentially saying is, is because of my love relationship with the father he shows me where he's working and i join him where he's working so listen if we're ever gonna take this message we've got to do it the way that that jesus did we just don't run around like chickens with our head cut off doing all the things we saw in luke 4 we, we have to see where the father is at work and the way the father is at work is through open doors Paul was constantly praying about that. Have you ever noticed that when you read it? He's praying about open doors. Open doors let us know where God is doing his thing. We, we have to be careful to not keep pushing doors that aren't open. That door could be a mile thick. You don't know what's on the other side of that thing. Now, you know, we, it, that doesn't mean everything will always be easy, but there's a difference between an open and a closed door. And so he's called us, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and we'll be able to do that when we walk through those doors He opens and we open our mouth where God is already at work. Now, 
That said, most of our problems aren't that. Most of our problems is we don't even look for a door to begin with, and we're looking for an excuse, like I just said, to get out of opening our mouth. That one's closed. Oh, that one must be closed. I'm feeling uncomfortable. That one's closed. No, that, that, don't do that. But maybe for some of us, we're trying to beat down a door that's currently closed. And we need to develop that love relationship with the Father like Jesus had, where he's showing you where he is at work, and he's at work through open doors where you walk through them and you preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then be like Jesus. We must exercise wisdom with our communication of the message. We must exercise wisdom with our communication of the message. Now, Jesus was always calculated. He was always very careful. And, and we've been called to do that as well. In, in Colossians 4.3 Paul asks the people to pray for him about the doors that have been opened. And here's what he says. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, that I'll, that I'll make it clear, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time even though we're right on the heels of the day of vengeance, y'all, we have a positive message that Jesus can deliver people from their sin. But we've got to walk in wisdom to communicate that message to those that are without. And then, let us see, like Jesus, we must work with the constant reality that there is soon coming a time when we will be unable to work. Like Jesus, we must work with the constant reality that there is soon coming a time when we will be unable to work. And, and you realize that when Jesus was here, he lived with that constant reality. He knew he had just a short time. And he, he said in John 9, 4, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In just a while, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as, as our Savior, we will be raptured off this planet. And at that moment, all the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to do, that's it. It's over. That's our, that was our shot. It's done for all of eternity. We will never have the opportunity to do the work of the Lord again. And we've got a short window right now while it's the acceptable year of the Lord and again, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, at the end of the verse, that now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation, and we've got to do the works of him that sent us while it is yet day, y'all, and while we can still work, because the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your truth, because that message that you entrusted us with, that message you gave us the responsibility to proclaim, is also the message that changed our lives. Shame on us if we sit our whole lives and pocket that gift and don't share that with anyone else. I pray, God, that we would use whatever time that we have left to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that year of Jubilee, God. What an unbelievable promise that you have given to us, Lord, that we have the ability to spend eternity with you, God, and you have given us a purpose on this life. And that purpose goes far beyond just eat and sleep and work and doing these things, God. You've actually given us a, a, a true reason to live, a, a reason that lives outside of ourselves, something that's eternal, something that's not just temporal. God, may we invest into the eternal. May we invest into the things that truly matter. In your name we pray. Amen. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you, I worship you, you are here.